0: Hi there and welcome to Picking Up Rocks, a podcast that strikes a balance between playful curiosity and serious inquiry.
1: Hi there and welcome back. I'm Patrick Beggs and today I'm joined with Chris Cooper freelance advocacy and strategy consultant and former leader at Purpose a consultancy championing social change worldwide. Join us as we tackle the challenges of disinformation in a digital era and delve into the tools that can empower organisations to decipher and traverse the intricate maze of online narratives picking out the counter narratives that they need to employ to be able to make the change that they want to see in this world. This is an honest conversation between Chris and I as we try to untangle the often entangled pay-to-play system that faces grassroots organizations as they try to get a fair shake of the source bottle in the attention age. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation between Chris and I and uh, look forward to seeing you on the other side.
0: Hi Chris, thanks for joining us. Um, it's uh, really great to have you on the pod, um, Picking Up Rocks. It's a show that We pick up rocks with a guest we wander into the field and pick up some interesting insights along the way and and inspect them and ask each other why they are and it's sort of our job to to hold your rock up to a degree and and where you've gone from and try and understand some workings of chris and we've just had some off-air conversations and it sounds like you're in a really interesting spot yourself um I wonder, I do have a bio here prepared for you, but understanding you're in a moment of transition or in a moment of change a month, would, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, sure, sure thing. And um, thanks for having me, Patrick. It's always a, always a pleasure to chat. Um, so I am uh, the head of office and senior campaign director at Purpose, which is a social impact consultancy that is global, um, but I run the APAC, Uh, operations and that's overseeing um, teams here in Australia and in Indonesia and we work on a really wide range of issues Um, but a sort of focus of of my work has been around uh, climate change um, disinformation of all forms but particularly the ways in which disinformation and hate speech uh, infect the sort of information ecosystem of citizens, um, which leads to worse democratic outcomes, as well as the undermining of the work that's been done by grassroots organizations to drive change or deliver uh, programs on the ground, um, who are sort of consistently seeing their work being undermined by uh, narratives that proliferate not only online on social media, but but elsewhere as well. Mm. Yeah,
0: important work. Uh, and ever more so in, in the dawn that we're walking into this year. And off there, we were talking about how it's really important to get the inside. but at the moment, you're, from your perspective, people are getting insight on what to do in terms of disinformation. And there's a real need and work to be able to what you can do, how can you start um, creating better ecosystems of information that is valid, accredited, and people know sort of it's contention to a degree.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. So we, I, I sort of started in this space back in 2017 or 2018 with a project that was looking at doing some social listening and, um, analysis around the way that hate speech was moving in Myanmar around the Rohingya and. Uh, something that was really interesting in that project was that we were not only able to unearth some really interesting um, insights that were really useful for some on the ground partners, but there was still this question of kind of, so what, like, what do you do with these insights and how do these, how does this research change anything for the people, for the impacted um, communities? And so over the last few years, we've been really working on building out that, capability and capacity. And we've seen other organizations and outfits that we often partner with who are doing really excellent research into into these these themes and these issues. Um, But there's just consistently been this gap between that research and the action component um, and seeing the lack of sort of a model for response that is more than just a set of principles for what to do or what not to do with disinformation. And so we really sort of lent into that and worked with uh, a whole bunch of organisations, mostly in the climate space but not exclusively, um, to really work out how do we provide a tool or something that campaigners can use to translate insights from the monitoring and, and research into actionable campaigns and impact and it it's sort of naturally evolved to be a little bit broader than just disinformation to also be looking at sort of as you put it the the health of information ecosystems that exist within movements and within um, democracies and that is sort of more than just saying those ecosystems need to be free of disinformation and hate speech uh, but also that there needs to be a share of voice, and so you might have all the information you want, but if you if you don't have a public square or a platform to speak to or influence power, then that is like a sign for us that that the information ecosystem is not healthy because those voices aren't aren't heard. Um, and there's many other components like truth in politics, like media bias, um, media diversity. Um, corporate bias in media like there's a whole range of sort of factors here and if you don't have
0: SEO or you don't have you know spending ads or you don't have something accredited to your name as well is that playing into it like sorry to jump in on you there but it's that landscape's heating up and they're into pay to play pay to have voice public square getting corroded in just like simple terms and then small organizations you're talking about Grassroots organisations that don't have media budget to really broadcast their voice on a pay-to-play basis. What are some of those tools that you were talking about? Like, how has that evolved? And is that is obviously it's a it's quite a digital tool or online. How does that look? Is it a platform or you're feeding insights to get action from to help speak voice? But that's more evolved into how to contribute to a healthy information ecosystem. I'm I hearing you right there.
2: Yeah, and there's a there's a few components to it, and I, I think the point you draw out there around um, the pay for play system is a really important one here because I've had the the privilege to work with a really wide number of not for profits in Australia, and I consistently see um, this problem where those that have budgets for ad spend are ultimately having to pay Facebook or whoever to uh, reach their own audience list members, Not, we're not even talking about new audiences here, in order to get them to donate so that they can then pay Facebook again to kind of do this over and over again. Like, And the amount of energy and capacity that that takes up um, before you even get to issues like them then having to defend their legitimacy credibility impact narratives or you know counter disinformation um or hate speech that's related to their work it just it just cripples civil society and so the gaps that we've sort of seen is one the ability to really or like access to the tools that are affordable and usable that that you know they always are going to require some level of um of technical capability but Designing tools that are far more accessible, so that uh, so that those folk who who work in these organisations can do the kind of social listening, monitoring, and analysis of online discourse on across social media and across traditional media, uh, and making that really accessible is one component. And then it's the methodology and frameworks for understanding audiences as well. So, um, trying to break down a little bit with a bit more nuance uh, around which audiences they need to think about. um, Because often it's the the loudest who are distorting the narratives, but often don't represent, um, you know, a significant portion of the the broader public. Um, So thinking more deeply about what insights can be seen around those, those audience segments. And then really like, how do you, depending on the kind of, Online threat that they've that they've identified through their research. What do you prioritize in that? Is it uh, inoculate, getting ahead of it, and trying to inoculate audiences? Um, and you know, who are those audiences? Is it about trying to limit its reach, or is it about addressing it directly? Like, what are the what's that prioritization? That's what our model kind of helps to do is to is to give that guidance that can be adapted to any organization with any capability um, or capacity. Um, in order to better better inform the way that they show up and navigate the information ecosystem that they're immersed in. Right.
0: So I'm seeing you you're sort of mapping the narratives that they're they're playing in in a, in a social sense and an information sense. Like is that am I hearing you right? You're sort of allowing an mm-hmm. organization that don't have necessarily the capabilities uh, right now to be able to understand the narratives that are existing for and against them. And then For the issues that they stand for and the stakeholders they stand to represent and then from there being able to give them a bit of a guide on what tack to be able to take there given what narratives are at play
2: yeah that's right and uh, and there's sort of two sides to the coin the one side of it is the narrative so it's um what narratives are actually proliferating and do you need to be concerned about and which ones do you not need to concern yourself And then the other side is the sort of, is the actor side of it, which is uh, our tools look at, like, scope the research um, based off keywords and narratives, as well as an actor list that we've continually built over the last few years um, here in Australia and elsewhere, which is known individuals, actors, um, uh, sorry, accounts, um, groups, pages, journalists who uh, consistently contributing to disinformation of some form or hate speech or whatnot, and then we can look at where those actors are showing up, who they're connected with, who they're coordinating with, because often there's this pattern of coordination across them, and that that can be really useful because you've got a that it takes a lot of work and time to maintain those lists and continually update them and keep them um, keep them up to date, um, and uh, and that can that helps to uh, Uh, to uh, to unpack the analysis of knowing is this just that same network of fringe neo-nazis who are pushing hateful content or is this bigger has this spread into other spaces online and is being picked up and maybe evolving into more mainstream sort of narratives or and distorting those or whatnot and it gives you it gives you a better insight into like just what is going on outside of your bubble
0: Right, so if you compiled, it sounds like you're getting quite a big data and map there as part of Reset and then also part of Purpose's work. How big is that data set and sort of what is the plan to do that? We have language models and data is the, the new goal more and more. Um, given the case of what language models are right now and where new insight can add value, like, it's, to me, seems like, would be an interesting play to be able to <laughs> develop something there where it is really accessible for for your audience who you work with to be able to do something there.
2: Yeah, and it's there's so much. Um, so the, the, there is some duplication of of some of this work, and yeah. it's tended not to sit in uh, in a more open setting, and that's something that we want to we want to change. And the kind of two pieces to that is. One, absolutely like more collaboration. Like we we do a lot, but we don't do everything. And there's always parts of what we do do well that others can do better. And so we're always looking for those kind of collaborations that can um, improve uh, these tools and this work for, for everyone. And the other side of it is this sort of like civic data um, yeah. component, which is what the tools that we use have that built in. So it's not that anyone... Can, like, you know, it's not like a neo-Nazi group could jump onto these, could join it yep. and use these tools. It's closed off to, to those sorts of folk. Um, but it's designed to be a resource for uh, progressive movements of all types. Because of, and, and this is really about um, a sort of movement generosity, which needs to be nurtured. It's, it's particularly important for purpose in the role that we play as a, as a sort of B Corp that works um, at different levels of these, of these uh, movements, um, but also because consistently over the last few years, our research has shown that the overlap between the networks online of actors, pages, um, and groups that are pushing, that that push not only one type of climate disinformation, one type of disinformation or hate speech, but are often overlapping. And increasingly, like climate disinformation in the far right is this, increasingly enmeshed community that's pushing this kind of content. And so the need for, like, a broader perspective on how you build those those resources and share them um, is, is, is necessary because otherwise you, you end up siloed to one issue area and you miss the bigger picture perhaps.
0: And so what are some of the ways it seems like spreading that message, but it's an interesting message because it's gated, to a degree, like what you're building there for for a purpose is gated and needs to be because of sensitive information. Encryption, a lot of the technology sitting there, it looks like and sounds like it's sitting there to help you out. But then the hard bit is how do you start to get people to play and and feed that ecosystem? Like what are some of the narratives that you're working with to better those partnerships, better that ecosystem? How is that playing out? And and what have you seen that worked? What are you seeing that hasn't worked?
2: Mm. Good question. Um, So we've actually spent a lot of time internally chewing on how to do this responsibly because the the initial kind of lens that we approach this through is one of like a a healthier public square, a healthier democracy. And looking through that lens, you could make the argument to say, well, everybody should have a share of voice and access to the same, same thing. That's more equitable. Um, but I disagree with that because the current information ecosystem is not that. It's so far from that. It, it is, as you put it before, a pay-for-play system. You know, the algor- the algorithms of social media platforms prioritize the sensational and outrageous and conspiratorial because it because it's more interesting and it feeds into the business model. And so it's not like we have a level playing field now. We've recognized that there's a whole bunch of movements and organizations that need support in in this way that ladders up to what is essentially a a shared set of values around a more open um just and habitable world and when you when you bring that kind of values lens to it, it it pretty quickly narrows Somewhat, who this who this is who this should be open to. Um, I think there's also a kind of there's another kind of criteria around this that like you could say that progressive corporations might find this really useful. Um, And there's you know like um, there's plenty of there's plenty of corporations who are trying to do good and do and do do good. Um, But I think that it wouldn't it wouldn't be equitable to have them accessing tools that are philanthropically funded otherwise um really for grassroots organizations who definitely can't afford it you know they should contribute to that if they want to use it and that takes a lot of thought and it's sort of um it's you know as we're sort of in this initial phase of this of this model and, and working with different partners we're working out how to how to do that um but certainly the accounts that we have in our actor list uh is pretty expansive now and it would be immediately clear to us if someone on that list was was reaching out for sort of access or to, to get involved in this. Um, so it's not really about political ideology, progressive versus conservative necessarily. It's more about writing nov- quite an obvious imbalance in the information ecosystem and um, ensuring that um, there's actually just fair and balanced information. So an example being the referendum, um, whatever whatever people might uh, be planning to vote for at the referendum, it is an obvious truth that there's a lot of misinformation around that. There's a lot of misunderstanding and really one side of that debate has to see doubt in the other's position, um, cause confusion. And, and vice versa, and what you end up with is not an informed constituency. And so this work would be looking to better enable that so that people are actually making informed choices when they vote, not about pushing them to one, one side of the debate or the other.
0: That's that's really admirable goal, and how is he going to sort of pierce the bubble that we all seem to get our information from, which is sort of the squirrel tact, where it's, oh, squirrel, something interesting, unless you're really locked in. Like, how do you grab that attention and to break it? Is that a strategy or it's more grassroots using mouths versus screens? Is that more of the tact or what's, mm. wh- how? yeah, that's the question. Is it online, offline? And if it's online, how do you break the way that we've become to consume our information so broadly?
2: Yeah. And, and this is why, our work has sort of evolved from being really focused on disinformation and hate speech to being one that talks about healthy information ecosystems, because there are all of those, um, components to it, which make it really complex. And if it, so it's not just about fixing social media, like, yeah, social media is a massive problem. I need to fix it, but we've still got, the Murdoch media and total sort of, you know, near total media domination of, of, of the country with, you know, huge amounts of the population living in, um, communities where they only have access to a Murdoch newspaper. Like that is a problem whenever you think of Murdoch's work. Um, and, and then there's like the more contextualized problems around, um, the addictive tendencies, the mental health issues that, that, devices and screens and social media can cause and that gets into a you know a further complicating conversation around do we have agency and the ability to resist just the you know the the squirrel um syndrome or um or are we products of our um information and um information environments and how do you balance that off and whose responsibility does it that, you know to sit with but i think broadly certainly the, the, res, the answer to, to these kind of problems is offline as much as it's online i think that it it's fine for organizations to focus on just one and that's like that's okay but as long as it's um can you know uh considerate of, of those other dimensions um i think that if we do online better but don't do offline better and have provide greater access to other forms of information um, and connection to community, then we're not actually really gonna solve some of the fundamental problems here, which is about disconnection, the perception of the other, which I think being online just um, exacerbates more and more because you're ultimately unable to make the same kind of um, human connection that is needed to you know unpick Um, unpick bias and hate and whatnot. Um, it's just, you know, like you and I have had a coffee in person and that was, um, you know, we connected much better face to face than we would be able to have done it on zoom. Right. I think that's, that's something that's fundamental to human nature. And so it needs both.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think COVID exacerbated this is just personal context. Like, no, definitely a little bit of data to back it up. But I think over definitely exacerbated sort of everyone's nature to get in their burrow and, and not venture out and, and put up the othering wall. So, yeah, you're, you're really spot on there. But, gee, the work is cut out to sort of bring ba- people back out. Actually saying that there's a town square other than Facebook or other than social media, that's that's another big challenge and and get people to have real conversations. Um, referendum is a really good spot to have that. I've seen some great media around just Having conversations that aren't around your weekend or aren't around X, and there's a there's a lot of positivity to be said that these conversations, as a result of this, is at least we're having them, and some people who might not have them, are sort of really scratching their head around them and asking what it is, what does it mean to be in an Australia, and what what is this sixty thousand year culture um that's being ignored, or depending on your perspective, and where does mm-hmm. that sit, and, and what's going on is. Is brave and and needed for countries to progress and and challenge who they are and what they want to be. Otherwise, you are really stirred by the Murdochs, or you are stirred by messages the medium, like what you consume is where you go. It's a hard battle, but I think it's I think we could talk about this for a long time, where to go, but I feel like where you're landing there, to be able to focus on online as much as you are offline. And that goes with our interactions with other people. And how do you sort of start breaking that bubble? It really is by sitting down and meeting people, even just meeting with a smile, um, sort of breaking that, that little barrier that you can get in your head that digital definitely helps with is a needed mm-hmm. space. Um, I do appreciate having your time and, and you spending it here and giving us those insights. I thought leaving note would be Personally, what's a story that's that's really affected you on an event that's really sort of been a penny drop or or a real moment that's made you consciously choose a path over another or over several? Can you think of one? You don't have to, but um, it's a question I like to get
1: in there.
2: Yeah. Um, I think, there's, I mean, there's many. Uh, I, I've, I've been very fortunate to work in lots of different spaces and sectors and industries. But I guess my work before purpose was, I was working for 350.org Australia and um, mostly like as the digital campaigner there and, but helping offline as well. And, you know, 350 is an incredible organization with an incredible bunch of people and, they do a whole range of campaigning, but including nonviolent direct action. And I think it was uh, they've also got, you know, the climate movement doesn't get it right all the time, but largely there's a real strength and uh, acknowledgement that uh, indigenous Australians uh, need to, need to be need to have a greater platform, and that means, that means uh white Australians sometimes just getting out of the way and um, following him. and I think that part of seeing that done in, in that in that space really well, while also seeing the kind of broader context of people who commit their lives to activism to to make the world better, to 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 revert, you know, to to tackle climate change or to fight for racial justice or any number of things and seeing that those people are some of the best people I've ever met um, and pour so much work into it and effort and are still unable um, to get that voice heard and to have that change because of everything else of the system that they're trying to, that they're trying to change and also that often it's those it's those folk who really uh, are the catalyst for change that's then brought into the mainstream and then change happens and the credit really goes back to those folk who were really pushing um at the fringes for change and i think it's that sort of helped to understand that those people and those movements are really important they're critical And they need to be supported and not everyone can go and get arrested and i'm not saying that we should do that um but um uh there's other ways to support them and at the very least it's understanding that whatever you're doing in the approach to achieve change you're one part of a bigger system you can only do one part and make sure that's good and that's connected in and acknowledging the whole ecosystem of folk who are actually driving this and, um, and often have opened up the opportunities for you um, if you're sitting somewhere more in the centre or more in the mainstream or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that's really helped me to navigate where I sit and how to show up in the, in the position that I end up in.
0: Well said, Chris. Well, on that note, thank you very much.
2: Awesome, Patrick. Thanks for having me.
1: What a spot to end there. Thanks for joining us here on the Picking Up Rocks podcast with our guest, Chris Cooper. Gratitude and understanding that change is often built upon the shoulders of others who have come before you is a powerful place to end it. I've been your host, Patrick Beggs, founder of Per Production. Until next time.